from app.com, it's time to talk college hoops in the Garden State. Welcome to Jersey Jump Shot. And welcome back to Jersey Jump Shot. Ryan Ross here with Jerry Carino, Steve Edelson, and Chris Eisman recapping a successful week for New Jersey college hoops. As the calendar flips to February, that means March is right around the corner. We have a great guest on with us today. Our friend Brad Wachtel stops by with some bracketology, taking a look at where he projects New Jersey schools to factor into the bracket come March. As of right now, five New Jersey teams in the hunt for an NCAA tournament berth. Really unbelievable times here for New Jersey college hoops. Rutgers with two wins this past week. Seton Hall with two wins as well. Princeton with two wins. They're in first place in the Ivy League. Ryder, they've won seven in a row. They're in first place in the MAC. And FDU, they lose, but they sit at second place in the Northeast. Jerry, really just an amazing time for New Jersey college hoops. It is, and it's unprecedented uh, to have five New Jersey teams make the NCAA tournament. Now, we got five weeks left. There's a lot that could happen. But just to give you an idea of how hard that is, the last time four teams made it from New Jersey was 1991. And we came within a whisker last March, but Princeton lost to Yale in the final minute of the Ivy League tournament final. So, five teams in the hunt, lot to discuss. Bracketology, storylines, week ahead. It's getting exciting. You can feel the madness coming. Absolutely, and it, it really is an amazing time. And Steve, when you when you look at this and look at the results that we've had, uh, to be a fan of college hoops, we've talked a lot on this podcast, just what a close-knit community New Jersey college basketball is, players and coaches and fans all very familiar with each other. But to have this opportunity, it's it's really unbelievable. Well, I think when you look at what's going on within you know, a fairly small area in New Jersey, this is when it really amps up when you have this much going on uh, come February. And as you look towards March, it really could be one of the more unbelievable marches we've ever had. And, I, and that's saying a lot when you look at last March and, and what happened with St. Peter's. Absolutely. And it's a great time. We're going to get right to Brad because he had some great info for us. Uh, we caught up with him yesterday. Jerry and Steve talked to Brad. We've had him on the show a bunch of times. Give him a follow on Twitter. Follow him as well on Facts and Bracks. That's his website. Brad Wachtel, our bracketologist. Let's hear what he had to say. It's February, and that means it's time to talk March Madness. It's time to talk brackets. It's time to talk bubble. And who better to talk that with than the great Brad Wachtel? A couple years ago, we introduced you to Brad, and we told you he's the best bracketologist going. Now, he doesn't need an introduction. He's more famous than Steve and I put together. But, hey, he's earned it. He's really good at what he does. He's a Jersey guy. He has deep roots in the Jersey basketball community. He has been following this season closely because, hey, we could have five teams in the big dance. Five. Can you believe it? Five, an unprecedented number. Brad, welcome. It's our time of year, brother. Yes, it is. Thanks again for having me, Jerry and Steve. Uh, it's great. It's obviously the best time of year. And when the New Jersey teams are doing this well, I mean, you really can't ask for more. And I want to just a quick shout out. Brad is doing this and he's a new father. He's got a two month old baby girl, Stella. Brad, congratulations. I hope she likes basketball. She, she loves basketball. When the TV's on, she's looking at it. I have to kind of take her head and, you know, swivel it over to the other side because we don't need her watching too much TV at this age. Ah, you're a good man. All right, Brad. You're in good shape. So now let's start with Rutgers because Rutgers is the big story, uh, having a fantastic season. 
you know, beat Michigan State uh, at Madison Square Garden. Uh, where do you see Rutgers? And more importantly, more to the point, what does Rutgers have to do to get a top four seed, which is protected geographically, which means they probably wind up playing in Albany. You know, where do you think they are in terms of making that a reality? It's definitely a, a, a possibility for them. I mean, right now I have them as a five seed. Um, this week coming up is the biggest week of the season for them in terms of being able to move up the board until the Big, the Big Ten tournament. Um, at Indiana and at Illinois, uh, they're two high quadrant one games, their last two high quadrant one games of the season. They do have a few other quadrant one games, but those at Wisconsin, at Penn State, you know, they obviously will help the resume and improve, but I don't know how much more of, uh, of it for seeding purposes. I don't know how much more they could, they could rise with just those wins. Um, but those two games, you know, if they can get, if they can somehow steal one of those two games, I can see them breaking into that four line for the time being. You know, Brad, this is such a different situation than Rutgers was in at this time last year. Let me talk about that and the differences this year. They're, I mean, they're just in such a better position right now. They re they really are. Um, and you start taking a look at, you know, how they constructed their schedule. And before the season, you would be like, huh, seems like it's the same type of schedule they're used to playing. Um, and that really is the case. It's just the results. Um, all of those teams that they've played uh, – in, in their their bye games, uh, instead of close games and a loss to Lafayette, like what happened last year, uh, it really is total domination. Um, when Rutgers is playing a bad team, you know they are going to not just win, they are going to pummel their opponent. And that's what they did. And that's what really has helped uh, their overall metrics be to where they are at the current moment. Um, they're, you know, their predictive metrics, their net right now is top 20. Their predictive metrics, you average them out, and they're about 14th in the country. Um, and that's where they are in Ken Palm as well. So it, it's not, this is no fluke. Uh, people think that the numbers are saying, suggesting that when Rutgers gets to the tournament, uh, they're not just going to be there for a game. They they have a legitimate chance to make a run and should not surprise anybody. Um, so that that's one. It's the, the non-conference schedule. Obviously, not losing a Quadrant 4 game is massive. Um, they avoided that. Um, and I think it's like, you know, a lot of these games, even, you know, for example, they just beat Minnesota by 30. You know, maybe last year, the year before, maybe they're up by 20 in that game and they put in their subs early. Maybe they take the foot off the, the gas for, for a little bit and end up winning the game by, you know, 15 to 20 points. Instead, it seems like they get it. They understand that they, you know, running up the score it, it is not a good thing, in my opinion. But if that's what helps you improve your standing um, for the NCAA tournament, then you got to do it. It's funny. It seems like Steve Peichel, and he will never admit this publicly, it seems like he, he went to metric school he took a statistics class. He had you in for a consultation, Brad, or something like that. It's amazing. I want to ask you, there was a lot of hair pulling the last few days about uh, the game against Michigan State at Madison Square Garden being designated a Rutgers home game. Does it really matter now that Rutgers won the game? Does that really have an impact on the metrics? It does have an impact because if, if that was a neutral site game, that would have been a quadrant one win. Um, and that would have put Rutgers at five and four over 500 against quadrant one teams. And when you start 
trying to move up the board, move up your seed level, you're comparing quadrant one. Your record versus quadrant one teams is very important. Um, and to be over 500 in that category is significant. So, you know, they, it's still a quadrant two win. They're eight and six against Q2 and Q1 opponents combined, which is still very good. Um, but it's a little bit unfair. Now, Brad, the uh, let's talk about this week, coming week again. You alluded to it. Uh, there's three possibilities, right? A 2-0 and week on the road against Indiana and Illinois, a 1-1 and week, and an 0-2 week. If Rutgers goes 2-0, and where is their seed going to go up to? I know, obviously, it's relative, but just give me an idea. I think they would be a four seed. Um, yet, like you said, it's relative because there are a lot of good teams on the three and four line um, that have been there for a while, and, and especially those big 12 teams who are constantly playing games uh, that where they can improve their standing. So even if they lose a game to a good team, they're not really dropping very much. Uh, so it's hard to to really get up too high. But you know what? We'll see how it plays out with the other teams the rest of the week. Um, but I do think they would be on the four line if they sweep the week. So one and one status quo, probably still stay a five seed. Oh, and two might drop down to a six, depending on what other teams do. Is that fair? I think that's fair. I think one win definitely puts them towards the top end of the five seeds, possibly getting to a four pending results. All right, let's talk Seton Hall. Uh, they've won eight of the last 10. They've beaten the teams they should beat. They have not taken a bad loss at all in conference play. And uh, now comes an enormous game. Like as you alluded to in your Twitter page earlier today, uh, this is Creighton coming in, which is a major quad one opportunity. So where do you see the hall right now? You have them in your first four out. And where would they be? Again, it's all relative, but where would they be if they do beat Creighton on Wednesday? I think if they beat Creighton, I think they will be in my next projection after that. Um, their, their resume is solid. It's better than, than I expected it to be, especially after they beat St. John's. Their numbers across the board are solid, and I think you can attribute that to their strong non-conference strength of schedule, um, which is top 50 in the country. Um, and, and not only that, their win at Rutgers, the way Rutgers has played, that win is massive. I mean, not many teams win at Rutgers as it is. So for them to pull that win out earlier in the season is really a big reason why they are where they are. Um, and, you, and you follow that up, well, you couple that with their win against Memphis, which was on a neutral court, and Memphis is a, is a tourney team at the moment, um, and UConn. So if you can add another Quadrant 1 win to that, four uh, Q1, Q1 wins against four very solid teams like that, uh, for me, that would put them in the field. You know, Brad, I think Seton Hall had a net of 51 today. I know. What do you feel comfortable with in terms of the net and, and a team like Seton Hall? Where do they need to be? I mean, I, I think to get in, I mean, we, we saw what happened last year with the Rutgers, but right. that's an anomaly. Uh, I, I think top 50 would be nice. Um, that would be ideal if they could stay in the top 50 when, when the season comes to an end. Um, but, you know, just as important is their record versus Q1, their strength of record, which is also 51 at the moment. Um, and, I, and I think if they can be top 50, if they can play solid down the stretch, I mean, you look at their schedule, their home games, um, they have a lot of them against good teams. They have a game against Georgetown, who's a quadrant four team. But if they can take care of business at home, I don't think it's necessary for them to win, honestly, another road game. Wow. So that's so Seton Hall at home has they have Creighton Wednesday, 
They have Georgetown and Xavier next week. Uh, and then they, um, they're, they're on the road at UConn, uh, at Providence. And who am I missing uh, at home? Nova? No, Nova. They have a road and home with Villanova. Yep. So in the four home games, Brad, Villanova, Georgetown, Creighton, Xavier. Three of four, win three of those four, like avoiding the Georgetown landmine. Let's include Georgetown as a win. Three of those four get Seton Hall in the NCAA tournament. That gets them to 11 wins. They need to get one of the road games. I think that puts them right there. I, I do. And I, and I think it, it'll depend on, you know, obviously not losing in the first round of the Big East tournament. Right. Um, comfortable bubble. If they win three of those home games, they're yes. in a comfortable bubble position. They're in a comfortable bubble position, feeling pretty good about themselves. Um, and then we'll just see how, how the other teams around the bubble are doing. Um, you know, this year, I think the bubble is maybe a tad stronger than it's been in the past. Um, but sitting, I think they'd be in a, a good position with three of those wins. Cause that's one more, that would be one more, uh, quality win. You know, let's say they beat Creighton, lose to Xavier, beat Nova, you know, Nova's only a Q3. Or no, I'm I'm missing. They actually have so they have four home games left. Right, Georgetown and Nova. Right, right. So you're so you're saying two out of the three of Creighton, Xavier, and Nova. Right, that's right. Gotcha. We're gotcha. assuming a win over Georgetown. Yep. Right. So we'll say it's Creighton and Nova. So let's just say that's right. one quality win that they're adding. It's good. I think it could get them in, but like I said, you know, it, it will it'll probably come down to the wire if that's the case. All right. Let me give you this scenario. They 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 win those three of those four games, like we just said. And then they win at Villanova, which would be probably the most winnable of the three home games. It's hard to believe road games. It's hard to believe I'm saying that, but let's say they win at Villanova. That gets them to twelve. They in? Yes, I think they would be in. You know, Villanova. It's just a, it's a Q two, but a Q two is good. Right. Q two a Q two helps the resume, um, and obviously a road win helps the resume. So yes, I think that would I think they would be in if that was the end result. Okay, now let's go to let's talk mid. So Seton Hall's alive and well. Rutgers is is, cru, is in really good shape. Let's talk some mid majors. Uh, you know, Princeton. You have the Ivy League is a fourteen right now, correct? That's correct. Yes. Is is that like lock in for Princeton? Can they can they improve that one line at all? No, I I don't think that's locked in. I think they can be a thirteen seed. Uh, right now, the the thirteen line. Again, you have teams projected that are at the top of their leagues. So are they all going to win their leagues? Probably not. Um, so I think they are my second 14 seed at the moment. Um, and I think there's room to improve for them to be a 13 uh, at the end of the line for sure. You know, Ryder has gotten hot now. I think they've won six straight. And it really looks like the MAC is wide open. I don't know. Where could the MAC winner possibly land in terms of a seed? It's going to depend who it is. Uh, you know, right now, Sienna at the top of the leaderboard I have as a 15 seed. Um, Sienna is 2-0 and against Q1 and Q2 opponents, which is right. real impressive. Obviously, they beat Seton Hall. Right. Um, I think they would, depending on who it would be, I think Ryder would also fall in that 15 range. Um, but again, it'll it'll depend on who ends up being the 16 seeds. Who are, are there really bad teams winning their, their conference tournaments? I think Ryder could probably be their ceiling is probably a 15 though. So FDU and the Northeast conference, are they, are they perpetually ticketed for a, uh, the, the play in round at the first four in, in uh, Dayton or what? Yeah. 16 seed uh, for the Northeast conference and likely in the playing game. Okay. 
anything, Brad, just one last big picture question. Anything different this year uh, as far as the way the metrics are shaping up or, you know, the, the Ken Palm or the net is unfolding? If we, is there, are there any new twists or, or, or are people just becoming more wise to what's going on? I think people are definitely becoming more wise, but looking at, you know, every year is different, obviously, but looking at the, the bracket that's interesting is there's a lot more teams now that have Q4 losses that are well in the mix uh, for a bid that are probably going to get bids when it's all said and done. So that maybe the Q4s are not hurting teams as much. Um, don't know the reason for that. Uh, again, we don't know the net formula. We say it every single year. So <laughs> it's just, we're just, we're just, we're just guessing. Um, but, but no, I think, but I do think teams are, are figuring it out a little bit um, and they're understanding how the end game situations, you know, he, if you, if you consistently, you know, one, one game where you run up the score is not going to change anything, but if you consistently do it over the course of the season against a number of teams that could improve you a seed line, maybe even two seed lines, you don't, who knows? There you have it, folks. A five-bid jersey dream is alive in the first week of February. Brad Wachtel, Facts and Brax. Facts and Brax is the name of his website. You can follow him on Twitter, Brad Wachtel. He is the best bracketologist in the business. He is our bracketologist. And when I say our, I mean the New Jersey Hoops community. Brad, thanks a lot. We will see you in a month. Sounds great. Thanks again for having me, guys. Thanks to Brad Wachtel for stopping by the show. Uh, Jerry, just I guess as we try to unpack everything we heard from Brad there, always such a great job with him crunching the numbers and projecting where these teams might end up in March. Very accurate, very insightful there. And certainly if you listen to that as, as a fan of New Jersey college basketball, you have to be excited. How about Seton Hall fans rooting hard for Rutgers, as Brad suggests? That's a signature win for the Pirates. They could come up on Selection Sunday. And, you know, Rutgers fans likewise. The better Seton Hall does, the less painful that home loss to the Pirates from December is. So there's some cross-pollination going on here. That makes it interesting. But, yeah, Brad did a great job of breaking it down. And, uh, you know, the, that's it's time to talk about those things. But there's a lot of other stuff to talk about, too. Yeah, absolutely. And as we take a look at Rutgers, Chris, we'll we'll start with their week coming up. Of course, they have the two wins this past week against Minnesota and then against Michigan State in the Garden. That was a great atmosphere, by the way, with Rutgers fans there. Then they have a tough week ahead. They go to Indiana on Tuesday, depending on what poll you check. Indiana is either 21 or 22. And then they go to Illinois on Saturday. Again, check depending on what poll you look at. Uh, some of them have them ranked 23rd. They're receiving votes in the other. So, uh, what do you see coming up for them? Yeah, I mean, this is definitely one of the toughest stretches that they've had, right? I mean, Indiana, obviously playing well. Illinois has been playing well, too. Um, and it's not easy to go on the road. I mean, those are two obviously very, very difficult places to play. Indiana's 12-1 and one at home. Um, it's definitely a, a tough stretch. And obviously, you, know, you look at Rutgers sitting in, in second place all alone in the Big Ten. And then there's kind of a log jam, you know, a bunch of teams tied for third. And, and you know, Indiana and Illinois are part of that. And uh, this is going to, you know, it's, it's certainly going to be a challenging stretch, but it's going to be very interesting to see what Rutgers can do and kind of put itself in position, you know, when the standings um, are, are all said and done, you know, what this week is going to – how this week is going to affect them. Let's talk about last week first with Rutgers, and then we'll get into the, what's coming up. But last week was really a pretty uh, intense week, okay? Steve Peichel gets a, con- a one-year contract extension uh, where he'll – you know, basically it's just a sort of a rollover year 
He gets some adjustments to his buyout uh, and his incentives, his, his retention bonuses. The main thing there is that, you know, the concern that Notre Dame was going to be interested, which I don't, I don't know how, how much they were really interested, although I do think he'd be a good fit there. Uh, but like Steve, you know, he's going to, I think he'll finish his career at Rutgers most likely. Uh, I don't, I don't think this is a lifetime contract because he, he, he could coach well past 64. Uh, but UConn, if UConn ever opened, maybe all bets would be off. It's his alma mater. Jim Calhoun was his coach. Still pulls a lot of strings over there. But otherwise, uh, you know, he's this is where Steve's going to be. So not really much surprise there. Uh, the, there was a lot of controversy over, you know, the site of, of the game, Madison Square Garden for, for Michigan State. And it's neutral. Was it neutral? Was it a home site? Rutgers had to give up a home game in conference play, which is not ideal. The, Steve and his staff were really unhappy about it. Brandon Knight, you know, I, I had written something about it. With Brandon. So. Yeah, yeah. Brandon and I tweeted about it, uh, how unhappy they were. Uh, it's very obvious they did not want to do that. I don't blame them. But I do think based on what we saw, how just tremendous the, the Rutgers fan takeover was of the world's most famous arena. And I wrote this last week. I really feel like Steve should make an effort to schedule a neutral, uh, a non-conference neutral game there. There's a lot of there's opportunities for him to do that. I don't know if it'll happen next year because a lot of this stuff's booked already for next year, but, you know, and I mentioned UConn, that would be the ultimate Rutgers UConn. I mean, imagine the place will be full, 10,000 and 10,000. I don't know if it'll happen. I don't know if Steve wants to play UConn for the fact that it's his alma mater and home state. He didn't Uh, seem that enthused about playing anybody there. Yeah. I don't know if he will, but I do think, I think it's possible to see like them playing like a Providence or an NC state, uh, like another comparable high major. I could see that. And I do think, you know, when all said and done, like the, his eyes will be open to the to the Rutgers fan possibilities and the branding possibilities of taking over that building in that environment. So we'll see. I don't know if it'll happen next year, but I, I do think some seeds were planted for the future. I don't think we'll see Super Saturday again. I, I have a feeling it's done. It should be done. It's too much to ask to give up a home game in conference play. All right. More stuff about Rutgers. Also, side note. Uh, Brandon Knight took a shot at Jim Beheim uh, on Twitter. Beheim, you know, you know Beheim, Chris. He's been complaining about the NIL and other I'm other teams complaining for like fifty years. Yeah. Jim Beheim needs to retire, man. He his act is old, and he's he's a hypocrite because his program has had has been dinged for a lot of stuff over the years, recruiting violations, behavioral nonsense off the charts, the whole Bernie Fine scandal. I mean, there has been. There have been you know, just over and over again, there have been issues there. So for him to say so-and-so's buying, and he didn't say Rutgers was. He he mentioned Pitt, which probably is what inflamed Brandon Knight, right? He's close, very close to Pitt, played there, coached there. Uh, so come I'm on. Him now, back, Jim, come on. Really, yeah, Jim? He should just retire. I, I don't mind. I have no problem with the coach speaking their mind. I, I want to make that clear. But when Jim's going to be a hypocrite about it, it's just a really bad look, okay? And so rightfully so, he was called out. Now – and he did backtrack some after that afterwards, saying I did, that I didn't mean to imply anyone was breaking the rules, which they're not in the NIL age. So uh, now, Rutgers week ahead, uh, the Indiana game. Normally, ninety percent of the time, if a team beats the number one team in the country and you have them the next game, that's a great spot to be in because Indiana just beat Purdue. It was a huge win. It's a it's great to get them in the next game. I don't know if that applies with Rutgers because 
Indiana's has this game circled on the calendar, man. Rutgers has treated them like a rag doll. Six straight wins, embarrassed them in Piscataway in December. Uh, and Assembly Hall is going to be on fire Tuesday. Uh, Rutgers is banged up after Mawat Mag got hurt in the game, in the Michigan State game. So I, I just don't. I, this is a really tough spot for Rutgers. And you know me, no one has written more about how Rutgers' ownership of Indiana. I just don't. I think this is a really – if they win this game, well, I'll be super impressed. I don't see them winning a 55-50 to 50 game in Assembly Hall. If they, Rutgers wins a game, it's because uh, Cam Spencer and other guys have to shoot have to really shoot the ball, which has been an issue lately. So really tough spot. Can they get one this week? You know, Illinois is a tough team to predict. They're very up and down. Their home court, I've never been, but I've heard the student section is nuts. And so that will be tough. So, you know, Rutgers could sustain an 0-2 week, as we discussed with Brad. This is like a what are you made of week, uh, but they've built themselves a cushion and they've deserved that cushion. But yeah, this will be a fascinating week to watch the Scarlet Knights. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, and like Brad said too, you know, two losses this week. It's it's totally possible. You're going on the road to play two ranked opponents in conference, uh, two tough environments as well as you mentioned, Jerry. It it really is a let's see what they're made of type week. If Rutgers can go even one and one this week, I think that would be pretty impressive. If they somehow go two and zero. Oh, that's even more impressive. And then we're talking about a totally different Rutgers team in terms of where they might end up in the bracket. But uh, it's a tough week ahead for them, but we'll see what they're able to do, of course, for the Scarlet Knights with those two tough games starting Tuesday at Indiana, then Saturday at Illinois. So we'll keep an eye on the Scarlet Knights. As for Seton Hall, Jerry, they win twice this week at St. John's and then an ugly one at home against DePaul, but a win's a win for Seton Hall, they have coming up on the week ahead. They're home against Creighton in a huge game on Wednesday, and then they're at Villanova Saturday. Enormous game against Creighton. Biggest game of the year for the Pirates. And they don't have to win the game because uh, they've won at 7 out of 8, 8 out of 10. But they are progressing toward the right side of the bubble. And if they beat Creighton, they will be in the field as of as of Thursday morning. Now, Creighton's a tough matchup for Seton Hall. You know, the way they spread the court, move the ball, the way they shoot the ball, they have a big guy, Ryan Kalkbrenner, who's really tough inside. is a rim protector who can also score from all over. Uh, and so it's a very tough matchup, very tough. That said, Creighton has not played well away from home. They're really tough in Omaha where they destroyed the hall a month ago. Seton Hall's a different team now. They will Creighton will have Seton Hall's attention Wednesday. Uh, Creighton has only won two games on the road all year at Georgetown and at Butler, two crappy teams they've beaten up on. They only beat Georgetown by 10 last week. So I think it's possible. The matchup isn't great. I do think it's possible Seton Hall could win the game Wednesday. I think, you know what? I think a lot def- depends on Seton Hall fans. Can they make this a raucous home environment? Like when UConn came in, and I know there's bloodlust for UConn because of the old you know, rivalry in the Big East, and UConn abandoned the league, and then we helped them back in. That's the theory. We as in the Big East helped them back in. Um, but uh, – I don't know if there's that same bloodlust or ancestral hatred for uh, for Creighton, but Seton Hall fans have to bring it Wednesday night. The game against DePaul, the environment was pretty dead. Yeah, there were 9,000 people there. The students didn't really turn out well. They haven't turned out well the last few games of Seton Hall students. So there'll be bodies in the building. It's a 6.30 tip. But can people get there on time, and can the students really bring it? That matters. That makes a difference. And that players feed off that. Seton Hall players have talked about that at great length. Is a team that plays on emotion, okay, and a hard edge. So I, I think a lot depends on the Seton Hall fan turnout, specifically the student turnout. I really do Wednesday. If the students bring it, 
like they did against UConn. The fans bring it. It could tip the scales in the Pirates' favor. But what you've seen from Seton Hall is a team that is now really finding its identity, right? And the bench is playing well. So Dre Davis has been out with an ankle injury. He was a six-man, really the only reliable bench guy, you know, for months on the team. Uh, word is he's doing a lot better. I don't know if he'll play Wednesday. He is progressing. He'll be back, I think, relatively soon. But the other guys on their bench have stepped up and played well, helped them win the game at St. John's, helped them turn around to Paul after falling in a 15-2 hole. So now you have eight or nine guys all pulling in the same direction, makes Seton Hall that much tougher. There was a, a nice moment on Sunday's game, a reunion of the 1988 team, first Seton Hall team to make the NCAA tournament. You know, great to see P.J. Carlissimo. He's on the radio for ESPN calling the Golden State Warriors game uh, Saturday night. He hops a red eye, flies across country to see Mark Bryant and his old players and coaches. It was really a nice moment. And for P.J., you know, P.J.'s never going to say anything but nice things about the Hall. But I can tell you, deep in his bones, P.J. Carlissimo knows Shaheen Holloway is the right coach because Shaheen Holloway is, you know, he is Seton Hall through and through. And Shaheen had a nice comment after the game. He said, you know, P.J. Seton Hall, Richie Regan is Seton Hall. Those are the two iconic Mount Rushmore figures for Seton Hall basketball and Seton Hall athletics. And I think, I think P.J. feels that Holloway could join them on that mountaintop. And that's a really impressive endorsement. Yeah, absolutely it is. And and the way they've been playing lately, uh, you have to be proud of what they've been doing if you're a Seton Hall fan, just some of the toughness they've shown. They kind of slogged it out, as we said, uh, Sunday against DePaul. Uh, a win is a win. And then now, now, of course, they have a test with Creighton and then at Villanova Saturday. So maybe they can squeak one out there uh, since the entire city of Philadelphia will be distracted with the Super Bowl the following <laughs> day. So maybe they'll take advantage of a, of a little bit of a sleepy crowd there when they play Villanova on Saturday. So we'll keep an eye on the Pirates as well. As for our mid-majors, Steve, let's see. Where do we want to start? We have Princeton in first place in the Ivy League. They beat Columbia and Cornell. Riders won seven in a row. They beat St. Peter's in Manhattan. They're in first in the MAC. 10-3 and three in the conference. FDU, they lose to Wagner, but they still sit at second place in the Northeast. And oh, by the way, Mammoth, they've won three in a row now. They beat Delaware and Drexel. We're talking about a Mammoth win streak. Well, honestly, as good as the other stories are, I mean, Mammoth, it has really been nothing short of an epic turnaround over the past few weeks. I mean, this is a team that was 1-20. in 20. Uh, they won three straight. They just beat a Drexel team that really is was right near the top of the CAA standings and two nights earlier had beaten CAA leader Charleston and a Drexel team that had beaten Monmouth by 32 points a month earlier in Philadelphia. So, um, I mean, listen, we're a long way away from thinking this Monmouth team could make uh, a run in the, in the CAA tournament, but... Last Thursday, they beat Delaware, a Delaware team that has a win over Princeton this year. Um, they beat a North Carolina A&T team before that that had just won at Hofstra and was near the top of the standings. And Hofstra is in first place tie right now in the CAA. So, again, a nice run of play against some pretty good teams for Monmouth, given a fact of where they were three weeks ago, which was pretty much non-competitive. Um, so good for them. You know, it's nice to see. And um, it kind of fits in with the mid-major landscape in the state right now because there's so much going on. As you said, Ryan, you know, basically three of the teams, uh, mid-majors in our state, are tied for first place in their league or a half game out. Um, so there's a lot going on. And, and I think the Princeton win over Cornell was was absolutely huge for them. Uh, they needed to do that, you know. Um, and again, Ryder, seven straight, tied with Siena atop the max standings. 
so there's there's a lot going on. So I want to word on Princeton. Uh, they had also another reunion, their own reunion, in Jadwin Gym over the weekend. Uh, the 96, 97, 98 teams were a terrific run of Princeton dominance. And, uh, you know, Bill Carmody, who we know, Steve, from Spring Lake, uh, local guy through and through, coached that great, you know, that great run, was the head coach, the 98 team. And uh, I think just the best, you know, I've been watching college basketball for 40 years since I was – 10 years old in 1983. I think that in New Jersey college basketball over that span, the best executing offensive team I've seen was the 98 Princeton Tigers. You remember them, Steve? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. With Goodrich and, and of course, Mitch Henderson and Gabe Llewellis and Brian Earl, who's the Cornell coach, which is why they timed the reunion for that, that game. Uh, Bill Carmody was just such a masterful job. And that team was just so much fun to watch. And it's nice to see, uh, them get back together and to reminisce about those days. And Bill's a good guy. And, uh, you know, he, I, you wonder in his heart of hearts, would he, would he have stayed? He went to Northwestern. He did pretty well there, was there for a long time. But could he have stayed and made it his life, Princeton basketball? And is that something that Mitch Henderson will do? You know, it's 11 years he's been there. He just won his 200th game. He's a Princeton man. Uh, you know, Sidney Johnson left Princeton, went to Fairfield, got fired. John Thompson, uh, the third, went to left Princeton, went to Georgetown, took him to a Final Four, and then got fired. Uh, you know, Joe Scott, he, he was fired. He never had a chance to leave on his own. But you know, will Mitch stay? Will he make it his life? And that's, I think, the hope that Princeton has. It's a great fit, and the team this year is really good and fun to watch. They're not as good as the '98 Tigers, but they're in that mold of five guys can beat you. And you're in for a treat if you like offensive basketball. Absolutely. And they have a little bit of a bye week this week after playing two in a row last week. Their only game for the Tigers this week is at Dartmouth on Saturday. Ryder, they're home against Fairfield on Friday. Monmouth is at Stony Brook Wednesday, home against Hofstra on Saturday. Fairleigh Dickinson, they're at LIU on Thursday. And then home against Central Connecticut Saturday. Those two teams, by the way, at the bottom of the Northeast Conference there. So opportunity for FDU to score some wins. Uh, an exciting time for New Jersey College Hoops. Uh, a fun week that we just had. A fun week coming up on the schedule for all of these teams. Again, be sure to read Jerry, Steve, and Chris's reporting on NorthJersey.com, APP.com, MyCentralJersey.com. Again, thanks to Brad Wachtel for joining the show. We hope to bring him back in a few more weeks to take another look at the brackets. Give Brad a follow and check out Facts and Bracks, his website. Thank you for listening to Jersey Jump Shot. Enjoy the games this week, and we'll be back to talk about it next week. Thanks for listening. Jersey Jump Shot is a production of the Asbury Park Press and USA Today Network. Subscribe at app.com.